A good conversation can shift the direction of change forever. Would you leave it to chance? Join the authors of Design to Change and explore this series of conversations with designers and event owners. Driven by the need and conversations with event owners and event designers who use the event canvas around the world, this series explores the depths of conversations to elevate your abilities to look and act beyond the now. Episodes are hosted by Rude Janssen, Rule Friesen, Dennis Lehrer, and Paul Rilkins, with illustrious changemakers, designers, and pioneers in the field of design and beyond. To explore these conversations and additional content, visit designtochange.online. For now, let's start the conversation. Conversations. All right. Welcome back, Mike Ackerbauer. So nice to be back, Rude. I love your intro so much. <laughs> That's our colleague, Anthony Vade, who, uh, with his radio voice, uh, indulges us with his interpretation of uh, getting our conversations primed, right? So... But a little shout out to Anthony. I must agree. Uh, he is um, he has done the job right because it is it has served us well over the past 124 episodes uh, that we've recorded since launching the Design to Change book. So thanks, Mike, for that acknowledgement. Mike, what what um, what what has transpired? We've it's it's almost a year later. Last the conversation I looked it up was 28th of April 2022. Yep. It's now the 17th of April 2023. Wow, I was so, a year has I was passed. So eager to catch up that I said, "Let's let's meet earlier." <laughs> <laughs> You're the first guest that I had to remind to come in earlier, <laughs> because was, usually I set I set the agenda like a year before, and we're like, "Oh, we'll figure out a date when we get to next year," and then we usually end up moving it moving it backwards a little bit. Yeah, and and you're yeah, our first guest that that has shortcut the year because. I'm sure a lot has happened in your world as well as it has in ours, but let's let's focus on yours, Mike, for now. Last year, you told us about your horizon of change. Yeah. Um, what has transpired in this past year that you can share with us here on the podcast? Last year, when we spoke, I was right in the throes of finding a new role. And um, someone unexpected, but not... Um, not a shock. It was a good transition time actually for me. And I, I think my whole team knew that we were in a transitional phase. We had done really great work um, doing agile coaching. <clears throat> and it had been, uh, the sense was it had been so well received and well ingrained in the culture where we were that um, there were other strategic focal areas we could, we could consider. And I just happened to end up in cloud technology sales in IBM. And that was not a foregone conclusion when you and I spoke. In fact, yeah. it was very much up in the air, what would come next? And it was a really, really great reflection time. And in, in fact, I had to rewrite my my whole CV um, just to kind of refresh it and put a different frame of focus on what, what has my more than more years than I care to admit in, in the field of technology and innovation and um humanizing digital transformation as I like to call it and, and and really it really gave me wonderful context to my whole career so it was it was not an, an entirely expected but it was very much a blessing in disguise this past year that's awesome and you know knowing that you know if people would would look at your LinkedIn profile again today uh, they would see that you know 
part of what you are is a business transformation leader. If you don't transform yourself over time uh, and you are leading the change, right? This is part of the part of the, the dichotomy that you perpetually live in, right? Um, yes. uh, when the Agile Academy um, realm that we talked about last time where the organizational consulting, the, you know, being in the internal social network where you connect a lot of these different functions and different tools as well that we spoke about because that was our initial connection through a weight room a conversation that um, Mariano uh, Suarez Batam was having from Mural and we were in the same weight room one after the other <laughs> Uh, how we connected to this. We still haven't met in person, by the way. We 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 did get closer. I'm now in Montreal, um, uh, just 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 for this week. But okay. um, it's exciting to hear about these changes. Looking back on 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 a year of change like this, what what kind of conversations have you had that would be interesting to share with our audience who are always talking about change conversations and you know, how change gets initiated by the change owner or by the event owner, you know, technically a job change also involves, you know, stakeholder one, stakeholder two, there's two stakeholders, some, some change happening. Those are massive changes for the individual. Right. Um, what kind of conversations do you think um, or have you had that would be interesting to for us to talk about a little bit more? Oh, two or three. <clears throat> the first one, was a twofold. Um, it's it's never good to get comfortable, and if anybody should be able to model resilience, it was the team I was on at the time. All of very seasoned veteran agile coaches, very resilient in their own careers and varied experiences in their careers. I think the breadth of of experience that we all had and the business maturity we all had led us to a place where we could say this is this is a good thing for us. We, we didn't enjoy breaking up the band so much as we recognized that if anybody should be able to bounce back, to be able to adapt in the moment, as you said, to how can you be a transformational leader for business if you cannot yourself transform? And so we underwent some of that. And so that was good. And, and it was the comfort level of it as well. We were in a very good space. We were doing very good work. And I think we'd all agree that we were ready for and primed for a new kind of challenge. And, mm -hmm. and boy, did I walk into one. Um, so that's one conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Two is um, having to look back on my whole career and reflect on it. And what does it mean? And how does it? I, I went through a very profound redefinition of my identity as a human being, as a, as a professional, um, other, other personal areas of my life that were going on at the exact same time that were challenging who I was as a person. And, and my and went to the core of my identity and and men in particular I found tend to identify themselves based on what they do mm -hmm. the title may represent what they do it's not so much the title per se but it represents who I am is is born out of what I do mm -hmm. and being able to step back <laughs> being able to um, being put in a position where I had to step back and look at all of that was was a real real gift <clears throat> and it was a it was a 30 year journey of of saying okay who am i now yeah and i have been this may be a little tangent i i have been 
semi-critical of a lot of organizations and organizational leaders I've worked with, especially in COVID, that I have I've made the case that I don't know how much we learned from being in a lockdown and and being in a ra- radically different paradigm uh, business-wise for for almost yeah. three years. And and so for me, it was a gift to have to step back from all of that and say, who am I now? I think that's very powerful. And um, it's funny, I was having this conversation earlier today. Uh, and I think many people might be having them or consciously not having them. There's this conversation about this impact of us being in this very unusual situation across the planet for more than two years, sometimes up to three. Mm-hmm. Uh, and still things are um, um, in kind of a state of flux coming out of that turbulent uh, period um, and I was making um, we were making the the comparison to the disruption of the financial crisis back in 2008-2009 and how organizations came out of that and how people have changed as a result of that uh, almost a feeling where this last one was so personal right where everybody got connected and disconnected on a personal uh, situation. There's been this collective illusion of private and public opinions, which could be very disparate, very separate from each other. And these new paradigms in business, like you're saying, that also started coming up to the surface. And um, and then having these changes and undergoing these changes, I like how you say it's it's about redefining yourself instead of just not redesigning yourself. What's the that begs the question? What's the difference between designing and defining? I think defining is who I am, who I perceive myself to be. Designing is looking back at how I got here and deciding how I will move forward. In yeah. what ways will I embody who I am now? And and what does that look like? And is that is that behavioral change? Is that new disciplines? Is it new routines? It's mm-hmm. how will I present myself? It's how will I live this out, who I am, this new sense of who I am. And that's um that's almost where I feel like you know COVID has redefined how we how we function as a society almost, right? Uh or at least we, we've seen it being handled in different ways in different countries or in different geographies. Um, and a lot of that was not by design. It was basically defined by a situation that was pushed onto us. And we had to redesign and redefine, I think, who, how we functioned, how we worked, how we lived um, for an extended period of time without knowing how long that would last, right? Yes, um, which which is fascinating. You also do a lot of work, uh, Mike. I know at as an adjunct lecturer um, in creativity and change leadership at Buffalo State College, right? It's something that um, we spoke about a little bit last time. But so you're both active in in this corporate space at IBM, and you're active in this academic space. How does yeah. being active on two sides of the equation help you redefine yourself, or has it been helpful, or has it been what has that done to you? It, it's been a little bit of a mainstay. First, it was Marist College, and and I'm doing wrapping up a, a spring semester course with Marist right now and Buffalo State now University since last year. 
so they've undergone a little bit of identity change as well. Mm-hmm. And it's the program, the Buffalo State program is where I earned my master's degree in creative studies, change leadership, creative problem solving, now it's called the Center for Applied Imagination. And it's, I, I was just literally on the phone with, the, or on Zoom, um, just before this call with Dr. Gerard Puccio, the head of that department and the chair of the program and one of my mentors in the field. And I said, it's it's a profound honor to be able 20 years removed from being in the program to now be one of the adjunct faculty going into their new newly newly approved doctoral profession doctorate of professional studies programs starting i think next year and so i'm doing one of the core courses and that's i'm beyond words uh, humbled that that i was selected and i did a so my first course for buffalo state was a 3 week january term this year and it was exceptionally wonderful and I said, yes, I'll do it every year. And then the Marist course was was regular, was very consistent and up until my doctoral program. And then it's been spotty since then, but I've been I'm back in a semester. And what I've found with both is I'm able to bring a line of thought to students at varying de- de- varying places in their careers and share some of my own learning about leadership and creativity and innovation and finding it resonates. And that was a a significant component in me understanding, redefining myself. Well, ultimately, and then formerly at my church for many, many years, I was the teaching pastor. And, And in each of those cases, I'm embodying some form of teaching. In fact, when I, when I teach the mission statement, component to the Marist students as part of their change leadership journey. I said, here's mine, for example, mine, mine, when I was very young and idealistic, I said, I want to change the world. Great. That's a great beginning point of a mission statement. It, mm-hmm. It's also pretty abstract and grandiose. How do I anchor that somehow? <laughs> I said, well, change the, change the world one heart at a time. Okay. That, that's also pretty noble and ambitious. What does it look mm-hmm. like? And then it, it formulated and it, it, it's subject to review right now. But it was um, to change the world one heart at a time by creating learning environments wherever I go and with whomever I come in contact. And I think that's been core to who I am in all of this redefinition and redesign in the last year. And Marist and Buffalo State in particular have been wonderful anchors in that journey. So just reinforce that, that I have things to give. It's important and valuable. And the students who, who catch it it, it really is transformative in their careers and potentially even in their lives. That's powerful. So creating learning environments, <clears throat> how different is that to do that intrapreneurial uh, within an organization or within a department at IBM versus in those other spaces you're describing? Is, is there a different approach or is it exactly the same? Yes. <laughs> I say that not entirely flippantly. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> it is entirely different and almost yeah. almost identical. It's it's how do you engage people and how do you uh-huh. create a space or or design for a moment where you can have a, a different, more expansive conversation about what could be or or why something is not how we want it to be. The context could be different in, in, in a church setting, in a pastoral setting. It's let, let's use 
scripture as a framework for how we perceive the world and how we respond to people and how mm -hmm. we build relationship at work. It's how will we value one another in service to bigger goals that lead to either uh, to, to some sort of important milestones for the company, usually measured in revenue or market share, but also cost savings, customer satisfaction, better environment. In, in academia, it's how do I help a student feel like they can grasp this information and this learning and apply it immediately in their lives and make it tangible and make it transformative over time? Mm -hmm. Then it's just, what's the structure I'm going to use? And if I, if I could geek out on you for a moment, I'd say it's the same exact creative process. Where are we now? Where do we want to be? How do we get there? What do we need to do? How will we execute, adapt, and learn from it? One of the frameworks of reference is different, you say. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. so but the we're dealing within, with humans. Yeah. yeah. We're, we're following, we're going after some particular goals. Some are tangible and monetary and some are intangible and voluntary. Meaning yeah. at work, you've got a little bit more, you've got a little bit more, you've got a little bit more, uh, not leverage, people are much more prone to want to get into some sort of environment that's moving and it's aligned to a goal and there's OKRs and there's things we're being measured on and they're there for a paycheck first, but they're also there to most everyone I work with wants to excel and achieve and compete with volunteers. It's a bit different. There's, there's a, there's a, there's an engagement. There's a reason people come and get, in, get into a church community, spiritual community, you just don't have the same leverage as you do with a paycheck or in school with a grade. And so the challenge to get people engaged and committed is, is more so. Greater challenge, typically, with volunteers. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> well, organizations have a, have a mechanism, right? They, they pay for time, technically. I mean, it's, right, you... You claim the time of an employee, you claim the time of a team, a vendor, whoever it might be, uh, which gets remunerated through paychecks or uh, competitive bids, right? Whether you do or do not get the business or whatever might be the opportunity that they have, uh, where the voluntary is, the currency is the time, right? It's the time you give. Mm -hmm. uh, there is no direct money remuneration as such, I think, for voluntary uh, causes. Yeah. It's interesting because the listeners to this podcast might work in either or multiple of these environments at the same time, right? We mm -hmm. we identify that, you know, the purpose of organizations can be driven by various things, whether it's NGOs or governmental organizations or religious or corporate or whatever it might be. And each have a very specific uh, um, set of behaviors that people expect or uh, have come to expect, but also those have changed dramatically over the last couple of years. If you could reflect on, uh, because that's an interesting topic, um, and I don't know if, uh, because I know your podcast is something that I've been listening to regularly as well. Have you been able to sustain your podcast over time or how long has your podcast been running and what, what, uh, what other activities <laughs> or is that a painful question? I don't know. I haven't I haven't monitored it lately, but <laughs> it's a good question. I'm I'm very grateful to hear that you've you've been listening to it. Thank you. Um it was um it was very much an experiment. 
-hmm. and the jury's still out on how the experiment went. We can't can neither confirm nor disconfirm. We the goal was let's see if we can define creativity. And because there's so many ways to define it, we ultimately, over 25 episodes, we failed. <laughs> we did not. We did not come to a. There, there, there are a few well-known or well-received definitions, but um, we just kind of explored it from a. What does it mean for me? What does it mean for an organization? What does it mean for a team? So it was very much a grand experiment that we enjoyed and essentially put on a on hiatus after after about six months. Yeah. We we may or may not return to it. I wanted to go another season or eventually would like to, time permitting, mm -hmm. where we delve into the creative process. That's where my my deepest passions are around mm -hmm. creativity and innovation. It was it was fun to say we did a podcast and it was fun to do and it was entirely unscripted. So it's it's equal parts. It is what it is. And we just played with it and we were creative in that. And um, and I would love to go back and try again with, with a little bit more focus and well worth it, just well worth it. And, and I'm not, I'm not very self-promotional, so I didn't do a lot of, of, um, reinforcing that it was out there. So anyone who listened, I, I just call that a bonus. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll tell you though, Rude, as part of the, the year that was 2022 to 2023, it was a very, um, there were quite a few milestones for me that last year that were unrelated to the job change. One was mm -hmm. that first time podcaster. Over the over the years of COVID, um, I started doing a, a series of reflections every day on the Psalms and Proverbs. And it had come out of years of Bible studies that I would host or lead and say to people, do you know that if you if you read all 150, there's 150 chapters of Psalms. There's on mm -hmm. average 30 days in a month. If you read mm -hmm. five chapters of Psalms a day, you could read the whole book in a month. And there's 31 chapters of Proverbs. So there's a chapter per day for every month that has as many days. Mm -hmm. And I would teach this. And then I thought, wow, I, I've been saying it so long. Why don't I just talk about what it what they say? And so I just my, did my own reflections on six chapters a day for 31 days. And it was it was fun and and it mm -hmm. wasn't, I didn't put a great deal of study into it. I just shared it and different social media outlets and people said, mm -hmm. you know, this should be a book. So mm -hmm. eventually I said, you're right. And I published it on Amazon as a, as a digital version mm -hmm. this year. We'll, we'll, I have a designer working with me to get it into paperback. And wow. then out of the blue over the summer, I'm at a, at uh, the creative problem solving Institute conference in june in buffalo longest running first run uh first of its kind creativity and innovation um conference going on 50 years and i was having a conversation with someone and i mentioned that i'm a certified rock balancer i don't know if we talked about that last year we did yeah. and, and um she said you know that sounds like and i said it it sounds a lot like teamwork to me and I told her that. And so I've, I, I shared these insights about rock balancing that I saw in teamwork. And she said, that would be a very interesting TEDx talk. We should mm -hmm. continue that conversation. She happens to be the executive director for TEDx Omaha. Mm -hmm. So in November of last year, I flew to Omaha and gave a TEDx talk on rock balancing. So last year, I was a first-time podcaster, first-time author, first-time TEDx speaker. 
<laughs> so I don't know what that says to your question, <laughs> but it was also another series of, aren't these interesting things that are just showing up out of nowhere around my redefinition of career redefinition and life mission redefinition? Absolutely. Um, yeah. And as you're, as you're saying all of this, it's funny that um, there's all of these unknown connections. Uh, one of the other podcast participants in this podcast uh, is Alyssa Hurley, and you may not know her, but uh, Alyssa was on our team for, for quite some time, and she was one of the earlier certified event designers, and her project to become a certified event designer, I was just looking it up here on Mural, was this one, and I'll share the link in our map because it's, it's public, but it was actually a redesign of the Creative Problem Solving Institute Conference in 2017. No kidding. In Buffalo. Yes. <laughs> the, the loop is complete and some introductions maybe you know maybe made beyond uh, beyond this but it's always interesting to see how things interconnect right i'm just putting it up on the screen we know that our auditors will not be able to hear this or see this but um part of what she designed was this uh, cpsi um uh, conference which uh, took place back in 2017 um and it was actually uh, part of one of the um, collaboration, long-time collaborations that we've uh, since had with an organization in Canada, um, which now is our um, licensing partner for the U.S. So there's always very interesting kind of connections that are being made um, <laughs> left and right in different ways. So That's speaking wonderful. at the speak, yeah, speaking at the TEDx event because things one conversation can lead to the next, right? Um, things get strung together and in hindsight, you have full clarity. Tell me about your experience of speaking at a TEDx event, because I'm curious about that. I was speaking to another person, I think two episodes ago, Ki Kamaura, um, who I met at TEDx Basel um, last year, uh, which was an event that I originally kicked off in Basel in 2009. So all these things are really strung together. But I was curious to see... What is your experience like speaking at a TEDx event? It was, I actually spoke twice. I had two different mm -hmm. events that I was invited to, mm -hmm. uh, both in Omaha. W mm -hmm. One was private, first of a kind for the organization. Um, mm -hmm. So I had the benefit of speaking, of doing the talk once before I did it, where it was recorded and published, uh, promoted online. Yeah. Yeah. It was... <sighs> People say, man, it must have been so hard doing your doctorate. And I and I look back on it now and I go, I probably was. But in, in retrospect, I feel like it was it was so important to me to do. And I was so um excited and energized and motivated to do it that it was it was just part of how I spent my time. And it was important mm -hmm. to invest all that energy and probably and and that was literally right as the lockdown was hitting that I was closing out my data, uh, my quantif my um, cor correlating all my data, and then writing up the the last part of the dissertation, and so I was under self quarantine anyway, so there may have been a period of time there where I decompressed and went, wow, what now? I know I did. It didn't it didn't feel like it was that intensive at the time, and and it's similar with the TEDx talk. Mm -hmm. it, it was so organic the way they approached it. They had us, we met with a coach. It was the same lady that invited me in. Mm -hmm. And every week 
um, I, I had to write up the script and I had already wrote, written it as a LinkedIn article. So that was, that was a big help. And then I just refined it and refined it. She coached me and how to take the concepts from rock balancing and apply it to teamwork and flesh that out more. And great, Mike, that sounds terrific. Why don't you start committing it to memory or just reading it with me weekly? And I read it with her weekly and eventually I'm starting to commit pieces to memory. And then it became terrifying, absolutely <laughs> terrifying because I'm six pages, 15 ish minutes. And I'm like, yeah. how am I ever going to get through this? <laughs> and, and so that was a little bit grueling the first week to 10 days till I realized, yeah. Oh, wait a minute. I now have memorized a page, uh, three paragraphs, a page, a page and mm. a half. Oh, I'm halfway through. And then it got exciting. Then it got really exciting. Then it got nerve wracking going up on stage. <laughs> <laughs> and I had to be prompted a couple of times because I just blanked out. And, and that's terrifying, of course, yeah. but, but also exhilarating is a, there's a moment the first time I'm doing it and I'm looking around the audience and I'm seeing all these people and they're paying attention. They're locked in. Mm. And I'm thinking consciously, even as I'm, subconscious i'm just talking like i am to you right now as if i'm delivering and i was delivering but in the back of my mind as i'm delivering it without thinking i'm going oh yeah this is happening this is really going on i'm really doing it this is good yeah and then of course going into the second event the big event because it was you know everyone everyone can see it i was the coach that was the speaker also because the other eight people doing it were just as nervous then as i was the three days before just as terrified yeah yeah. And so I'm telling them, just make sure you stay in the moment and you and you savor it when you're doing it. Don't don't be so I need to get through it to be done or you'll miss it. Mm-hmm. And so that that was the like the gift of it for me was was being yeah. able to do it the second time. But it was it was not that bad. It wasn't it was terrifying in moments, but it was exhilarating to stand there and say people want to hear this and they're actually engaged with me so again another gift so how much rehearsal does it take in minutes to have those 15 minutes of undivided attention twice in a row if you would quantify the rehearsal time the writing time or the linkedin article the Mm. weekly rehearsals just rough calculation Let's see. We probably did it for six to 10 weeks, a minimum of an hour a week with my coach. So there's 36 to 60 hours of just time with my coach. Then there was the time writing and rewriting. Let's say an hour a week. So let's on the high end, 70 hours. And then let's say minimum of an hour a day, probably the last three weeks of rehearsing and rehearsing and rehearsing and rehearsing. And my, my wife and my daughter, God bless them. (laughs) They both could have recited it for me. (laughs) They know the story by heart now themselves. They know it so well. And then I just occasionally for fun, just to harass them, I turn to them and and I just recite the first line. So, you know, I have a really (laughs) interesting career focus. I love to help teams outperform their expectation. And I have a really really unique hobby i love to balance rocks and just (laughs) dad go away (laughs) i love you please leave (laughs) so a hundred a hundred plus hours of time 
I hadn't thought an annoyed family. <laughs> or a lifetime story hair and gone. A lifetime story, like you know, imprinted <laughs> yeah. in your in your memory banks. Yeah. Uh for a 15 minute uh undivided attention yeah. a situation within a TEDx stage, right? So yeah. um I'm always very appreciative of the work that well prepared speakers or um are able to put into this and knowing that TEDx events are basically volunteer driven, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They are, they're, they're completely, they've scaled since 2009. I remember doing one of the early editions. Um, also annoying my kids, by the way, Mike, doing that one, because <laughs> it was a TEDx youth and a TEDx um, uh, for the adults. And one was a general rehearsal for the other, but it's okay. very painful to get things off the ground when it comes very close to you. Right. Yes. Um, but I'm 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 fascinated by it, and thanks for sharing that story because I'm sure that many people um, must have seen a TEDx talk or seen a TED talk, and there is a difference between the two. Some TEDx talks ultimately make it to the TED stage, as if that's like a next a next thing. But um, and it's very interesting because I think good content needs that kind of uh, curation or practice and rehearsal. Yeah. before you share it with an audience of i mean how many people were in the room do you reckon in at tedx omaha roughly probably probably 150 which is down 70 percent than their pre-covid numbers but it was very healthy it was their first time back since the lockdown yeah. so it was a very healthy yeah. number um, we didn't know those of us speaking because we hadn't been there before as speakers yeah but um yeah um lively crowd i mean they were they were generous. Yeah. And now <clears throat> that has given you access to a TEDx talk channel, which has 38.1 million subscribers. Your video has been viewed multiple times, multiple the audience size time. I think yours, if I'm looking at one of them today, is like over 900 views of people. So your story carries beyond the initial event, right? Yeah. Um, which, um, and if people want to watch it, we'll add that to the, Twitter notes of this talk where you can see uh, Mike in action. Um, maybe give him a like or dislike if you like or dislike the story. <laughs> but uh, <clears throat> I think what this teaches me is, you know, if you want something done, give it to a busy person. Um, <laughs> the fact that sure. the fact that in the last year, you know, you've gone through all of these changes yourself, I think as an agile coach or someone that designs for transformation, you you also live it and you're you're eager and keen to share that story for which we thank you um what it encourages me to do is always to think in time quotients right like everything like the way you were talking about you know that the book that you published where if you look at the numbers at the end of the day you can you can deduce and you can you can put something or make it make it to a human scale where you make it digestible right a big a big chunk of information can be sectioned, quantified differently, and to give people an idea that if you do this every day for a month, or if you do 100 hours of rehearsal, you can remember a 15-minute story for the rest of your life, including you know your spouse and kids. Uh, all of these things are possible as long as you put your mind to it. And events tend to be a very powerful vehicle to, to bring those things across or stimulate people to contribute their, their time to something that might be of use to others. What kind of reflections have you had since from the TEDx talk 
Have you had any interesting kind of feedback loops on that? Some people I respect told me they saw it and shared it. Mm -hmm. And, and it's a little mind blowing to say, I, yes, I'm a two-time TEDx speaker. I, I just, just for out of the blue, I, I checked today and saw 900 people, 900 views. And I thought that's at least 800 more than I looked at it. <laughs> <laughs> that's a Delta, right? You can see if that's, people actually watched it because they track that, the statistics. Yeah. Right. Well, that's encouraging and, and just kind of humbling. And I, I, I can't, I can't say that the sales of my book were nearly that good, but some people, and I'm, and I, I'm, I published the book and I'm giving all the proceeds to a nonprofit that I care about. So I'm not doing it for the money, mm -hmm. but um, I also charged more for the Kindle version maybe than I would have otherwise. And people paid for it. And I thought, wow, people actually shelled out money to read something I wrote or yeah. shelled out money to listen to me share something with them mm -hmm. um, is, is a very humbling thing. And the other insight, um, uh, the reflection is, it, if you want something done, give it to a busy person. I didn't realize I was either that busy or busy enough to be capable of doing the things I did last year, mm -hmm. including in the liminal space between I'm an agile coach and I'm, that's the role. And now I'm in cloud technology sales. There was a, a good span of time in between mm -hmm. where I found projects to do and they were mm -hmm. some of the best projects I've ever done in my career. And people came to me for help it, indirectly yeah. my team, but me in particular engaging some very challenging <clears throat> scenarios for organizational leadership in a couple of different places. And, and just stepping back from all of those things, those first of a kinds for me, especially the TEDx talk is just reflecting on that people valued the contribution I made. Mm -hmm. And that's sometimes that's just mind blowing. It's hard to believe. Well, I think that's, 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 a, that's the recognition uh, payback. <laughs> Payback sounds so transactional, but um, there's a Dutch saying that doesn't translate well. Uh, uh, which which means to get something, you have to give something, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the idiom doesn't fully translate because it's a little more powerful with the original words. I, I wouldn't be able to translate it directly, but um, if you're a Dutch listener and you can translate it better, add that to the comments of this podcast. Um, but I think this is what you exemplify, right? You, you, you give ahead of time, whether it's your podcast, whether it's the book you write, whether it's, you know, the work you do in volunteer environments, but also looking back at stuff. I think, um, it's fascinating to see that. And, um, I, for one, thank you, uh, Mike, for spending, um, on stage and backstage last year time with us to talk about how, as a agile coach, you were doing this within uh, IBM because there's a lot to be learned about user adoption and how technologies that you initially developed in-house all of a sudden as a company you said let's use the best in class and let's figure out how to get people to work with those which is a big deal for a company I think to to do something like that um, mm -hmm. 
to now being in cloud technology sales and in a different space, um, rock balancing all of those acts that you just mentioned uh, and having the hour to spend with us to hang out with our auditors to talk about that transformational journey or that change that you've gone through. Um, know that Mike is open to connect on LinkedIn. That's how I connected to him or we connected together. Uh, check out his podcast. Um, thank you for sharing the story today, Mike. Uh, this has been um, a good way to reflect, I think. And I, I hope it was the same for you, where when you look back at this <clears throat> a year or two from today and check how many uh, likes you have, I can guarantee there's one more like as of during this podcast, because I pressed the button myself. Maybe others will do it too. Uh, but that's how you see, I think, tracked over time, the change of the impact of a story. So whether it happens live or digital, I think uh, the cloud works in mysterious ways, right? This capsule will be bottled up and maybe listened to in the future. Um, and uh, we're, we're very excited about the year plus one conversations because they are very often much more kind of like reflective, but also you can zoom out of your own actions and take a look at them differently, which um, uh, hopefully is something that's, that's useful. If you would have a piece of advice, Mike, to people listening to this podcast, um, from your lesson of this transformation, what um, what would you give them as a piece of advice if they're going through a transformation themselves? Because sometimes transformations can also be very difficult or painful at some stages, right? Yeah. What uh, what do you what would you say to them? The first best. First, last, best professor I had at my master's degree program, Dr. Mary mm. Murdoch, had profound little words of wisdom for us. And when talking about understanding how to facilitate and follow the creative problem-solving process, for whatever process you follow, she would say, trust the process. Mm -hmm. And she would quickly follow up with, and remember that process is a cruel mistress. <laughs> and she's right. <laughs> she's absolutely and right. remember that process is a cruel mistress. Yes. I'm writing this one down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because we this? tell, we, we keep yeah. telling our users, trust the process, trust the team, yeah. trust the process. Yes. But we never yes. tell them and remember that the process is a cruel mistress. But I think we may right. add this to, to our repertoire, Mike. <laughs> yeah. So my advice is somewhere between don't be so don't be too hard on yourself. Mm. If if and when you go through a redefinition and redesign phase of your life or your career. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And two is um wear whatever power identity thing you carry that's important to you wear it lightly mm -hmm. that's a that's a statement of i think humility but also mm -hmm. dare i say agility mm -hmm. versatility creativity being being able to be fluid in the moment because you're so secure in who you are and what you're capable of that you can adapt you can flow you can flex you can you can redefine yourself you can redesign the environment you can in fact you have the capability and the tools to do that. Awesome. Well, Mike, thank you for hanging out with us and our auditors. Um, 
This has been another uh, inspiring piece of information and experience sharing that. I think experience design can also be just listening to the experience of someone else and mm -hmm. reflecting on your own experiences, right? You might have tangents, you might have things that you don't recognize, but beware, all of these and none of these could become the truth at some point in your life, right? So you have to, you have to think about all these things that can happen. Yeah. Um, and I like this. Um, I like this a lot. I found it very inspiring, Mike. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me back. Thanks for letting me jump on the calendar early. Uh, it's, 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 it's been a delight working with you both times and just talking with you and, and a real honor. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. You've been hanging out backstage on Design to Change Designer Conversations. Thank you for tuning in and don't forget to subscribe and share conversations online using hashtag design to change and hashtag event canvas. Want more thought provoking content like this? Visit designtochange.online to purchase your copy of Design to Change, elevating your abilities to look and act beyond the now. Don't forget it's more than just a book. Experience a hard copy, audio format, video format, and even augmented reality. Experience it in your style and format. Tune into our next episodes and hear from more designers and change makers. Until then, we look forward to our next conversation. Conversation.